0: Spicy Sausage and Crackling Biscuits Every year has its winter and all the farmers in the Nelsonia area dried their peas and beans, stored their white potatoes and corn, and raised their own pigs to provide the necessary food for the year, and especially for the long winter months. The most popular breed of pigs on the eastern shore at this time were the Poland-China, Hampshire, and Duroc-Jersey. Since Dad preferred the Poland-China breed, our pigs were either solid black or black with white spots. These pigs were long, tall, and deep-bodied animals that would weigh as much as a thousand pounds for the boar and 800 pounds for the sow. Dad thought this far too much weight and tried to keep his pigs under 500 pounds. In fact, at slaughter time if we had four pigs they would probably average 400 pounds each. Every year that we lived on the farm, we raised three and sometimes four pigs. Dad bought them early in the year from a man who lived near Mapsville, but did not bring them home then. Instead, the man delivered them to the farm after they had been weaned. These animals were fed twice a day, morning and evening. And some of us usually went along to help Dad. First, he took a large bucket and filled it with slops from an old barrel that sat near the horse trough. Into this barrel, we threw all of our vegetable peelings, all of our fruit peelings, all scraps from the table, and any clabber or sour milk that we did not use. Then he took the bucket to the barn and added middling's. This was a type of feed made from wheat or other grain residue. Occasionally, he added a quart of our own cornmeal. Sometimes, instead of middlings and as a special treat, he gave them a basket of corn nubbins. Later on in the year, at sweet potato digging time, they were fed sweet potato coals and strings twice daily. Somehow or other they knew when it was feeding time and I could hear them grunting and squealing long before we got to the pen. Dad would pour the food into their long homemade wooden trough and the pigs ate as though they were starving. Pushing, shoving, grunting, and squealing they jostled one another to get a better position at their table. We thought that they did not have any manners at all. They ate everything and anything and grew quickly from tiny piglets into full-grown hogs. We never did make pets of these animals. They were simply a part of the farm scene. When the day for hog killing arrived, Margaret and I often stayed home from school to help Mother with the many tasks. Farmers in the Nasonia area came to lend a hand, and they arrived before dawn. Dad, however was up long before they came building a fire under the two large black iron pots that had been filled with water the day before the wives did not come but a special helper always came on this busy day usually it was nora finney to help mother in the kitchen the men stood around the fire warming themselves and talking until the water was very hot a slanting hole had been dug in the ground over near the pound, and into this hole a large hogshead had been carefully placed, partly on its side, so that it would still hold a considerable amount of water. Into this barrel the scalding water was poured. The first hog killed, and the men slid him quickly into the barrel. They rolled him over and over and finally pulled the hog from the barrel and laid him out on the clean grass. Then the man took clamshells and began to scrape the hair from the first hog, while the other men went off to kill the second one. It all went smoothly because each man knew exactly what to do. After the men removed the bristles, each hog was hung up on a gallows and cleaned. To a farm child like me, it was a fine sight to see the hogs hanging on the gallows in our own backyard. When the hogs were thoroughly chilled, they were cut up into shoulders, hams, large slabs of bacon, ribs, and roasts. All pieces were trimmed. Most of the lean trimmings went for sausage and the fat for lard. All of the sauce makings were collected and Nora Finney washed it well and cleaned it thoroughly so it would be ready to cook the following day. Most of the afternoon was spent in cutting up the meat and trimming the various cuts, and inside the house, we were busy grinding the meat that had been set aside for sausage. Margaret and I helped to grind the meat and then place it into a well-scrubbed wash tub. Mother added salt, pepper, and sage and mixed it well. She added the salt a little at a time, for she did not want to add too much and make it salt is norphine off tux island next she took a small portion and divided it into tiny cakes and fried it so we could judge if she had added the correct amount of seasonings dad usually came in at this time and tasted the sausage occasionally he would say let's add a bit more salt or a bit more sage but as a rule he pronounced it just perfect Stuffing the sausage into casings was our next job. One of us would hold the casing on the stuffer spout and the others would turn the handle that forced the meat into the casing. Ever so often we would change jobs and even more often one of us would yell, slow down, you're turning too fast. While we were working in the kitchen, dad and some of the men who had stayed to help in the afternoon took the cut up meat to the smokehouse Some spare ribs and pieces of pork were put into a large stoneware crock in heavy brine. The pieces of middling meat, a strip of lean and a strip of fat, were placed on the smokehouse shelf and heavily salted. Hams, shoulders, and loins were given a mixture of salt, pepper, and brown sugar. For several days after hog killing, Dad went to the smokehouse daily and put more and more of this mixture on the meat until it was heavily coated. Then the hams and shoulders were hung up on nails that had been driven into the ceiling rafters so that the meat would dry thoroughly. Just as we were finishing up our work for the day, a few of the ladies of the neighborhood would always drop in. Each one was given some sausage meat, tenderloin, or perhaps a whole haslet, This was not a gift, as later on, when they killed their hogs, they would return the favor. No money exchanged hands at hog-killing time, for Dad would go to each man's house in turn when they killed hogs. Even Nora Finney took her pay in sausage and souse. One other task remained to be done. This job, lard-making, came only once a year and was usually done just a few days after hog-killing time. All the fat left over when the meat was trimmed was used. Nothing was wasted. The fat was put into a large black iron pot. It took most of the day to make the lard, as it was supposed to cook slowly over a very low fire. I can still remember Mother standing over the pot for hours, occasionally stirring the mixture with a long-handled iron fork to keep it from sticking. Since the fire had to be kept burning just right, we added the wood very carefully, one stick at a time. Right about at sunset, the fire was allowed to go out slowly, and after the pot had cooled a little, the lard was put into tins. We had 2 50-gallon lard tins and a huge earthenware crock, There was always enough to fill the tins, and most of the time there was also some left over to put into the crock. Lard was supposed to be pure white, and most folks would ask after the job was finished, did it turn out well? Mother would take them to the small storage closet under the front stairs and proudly show them her new tins of lard. If, by chance, it had a faint yellowish tinge Then they knew as well as you did that someone had let the fire get too hot. Hog killing meant fried liver for breakfast, lean tenderloin for my school sandwich, and plates of steaming hash flavored with cider vinegar for my supper. Not only this, but it meant that all winter long there were thick slices of ham, crackling biscuits, spicy sausages, crispy bacon, and brown roasts of pork. Let the winter winds blow. Let the snow drift down. We were ready for the winter ahead.